Welcome to Soundboard, the Steinway and Sons podcast on artistry and craftsmanship. I'm your producer and host, Ben Finan, editor-in-chief at Steinway and at listenmusicculture.com. My guest today is actor, writer, and American treasure, Bill Murray. At the time of this interview, Murray had recently been awarded the Mark Twain Prize for American Humor, and as a native Chicagoan, had also celebrated the Chicago Cubs' long-overdue World Series win, which included a very Murray take-me-out-to-the-ball-game. He kept the celebration going in New York the following weekend with members of the baseball team on Saturday Night Live. The day after his SNL appearance, Murray was to be found at the New York Yacht Club alongside the classical trio of violinist Mira Wong, cellist Jan Vogler, and Steinway artist Vanessa Perez for a recital that paired music of Bach, Beethoven, Bernstein, Gershwin, Mancini, and Piazzolla, performed by the trio, with readings from Capote, Cooper, Hemingway, Thurber, Twain, and Whitman, performed by Murray. The program would eventually become a record for DECA, titled New Worlds, with the same personnel. Murray inexplicably found time on Saturday afternoon, following rehearsal with the trio and en route to 30 Rockefeller Plaza, to drop in and speak to me at New York City's Steinway Hall. So music and words, that's our program tomorrow. What sort of music inspires you? Uh, well, I love the music that, uh, that, that the gang has collected here. I mm-hmm. like what they're playing uh, Bach and Gershwin and Henry Mancini and who else we got? Uh, Bernstein. We got some great great music. It's it's an American uh, show pretty much, except for this Bach fella. <laughs> but everything else is pretty American and um, American literature as well. It ain't necessarily so. It ain't necessarily so. The things that you're liable to read in the Bible, it ain't necessarily so. I like I like that music. I like gospel music too. When I got to get a lot of work done in my house, I put on gospel on the gospel channel. It makes me, you know, push things around a little faster. Uh, who who do you like to read when you read? Well, I do like John Steinbeck very much. I like uh, Mark Twain a whole lot. I like uh, Camus. Yeah. Talk, talk to me about Twain. You just won the just won the Mark Twain Award. What, what do you find from Mark Twain that's relevant today? What I like and what I think about when I think about Mark Twain is, you know, he was really very. Uh, he didn't like a lot of smoke blown at him. I've been reading some letters letters to him, and his replies to the letters are really quite. It sounds like myself talking sometimes <laughs> under my breath, but he's saying it out loud and writing it. People, he would write it in letters back to people when he did write them back. What I there, I love a whole sequence in Huck Finn where he just he talks about. There's just a sequence where Tom Sawyer is, makes up an imaginary world inside of a cabin that has absolutely no bearing on the, the story at all, but it's so damn funny he left it in. And I'm going, I'm reading this going, this is not taking us anywhere. It was just, he was having so much fun writing it, and he just put it in because he liked it, and it was fun. People don't do that so much anymore. You like that sort of absurdity. Absurdity is something that shows up in your own work. Well, he, he doesn't usually do that, I, mm-hmm. I don't think. It just was such an extraordinary thing in one of the great, you know, if not the you know the best American novels right there. And for it to do that, to say, and by the way, yeah, I'm not, and it's not beyond me to have a little bit of fun. He really did have fun when he wrote. I don't know. I wouldn't know if I'm absurd or not. I, I'm probably more ridiculous than absurd, but... Uh, I, you know, it's 
you know, if, if you're having fun, it, it appears at all on all points of the compass, you know, and you can go any way you want to go. How would you make a, a distinction between ridiculousness and absurdity? Well, just, uh, I, I mean, I don't, people a long time ago, people say, Bill, you're absurd. But now they say, Bill, you're ridiculous. <laughs> That's the difference. I guess it's just, a, it's just the time we live in. You specialize uh, over your career in characters who are on the mend, characters who are fighting themselves, fighting the pain of loss, depression, cynicism trying to become more involved in their lives, more involved in the world. I see that in your, in your comedy and in your dramas. How did that develop for you? Or do you even agree that that's a, a theme? Well, I, I don't, I'm not choosing a theme. I think that's probably just myself. <laughs> I think that's probably just the way I am, you know, sort of trying, really trying, and mostly failing. But, and have, have gotten myself in a situation where a certain amount of success affords you a way of living that you know you can fail to uh, examine. You know you can fail to question. You know so if you question it at all, then and then you go, oh God, I'm I'm full of it. I gotta I gotta get to work here, and that's kind of the way. That's kind of the way my life is. You know? It's about getting past that failure and getting to work. Well, you know it's not it's not uh, getting past the failure. It's just uh, seeing that most of the time we fail. Mm-hmm. We you know we have a false sense of what who we are and what we're doing and how who we really are and and that you have to just keep trying you have to keep trying you have to be very you know tough on yourself when you and not that i am but i i I aspire to be tough on myself and 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 force myself to see the flaws you know and then then you can you know if you can see the flaws then and and it and see the you know the false sense of yourself at the same time then you then something uh, opens up. There's an opportunity to uh, for a, a seeing, a vision, or something. Is that, is that a truth that, that that you look for? Is that something that that you find uh, you're, you're pushing toward in acting? Well, yes. I think it's. Uh, I think I'm looking for it in life. You know, and and you know, if you're doing it in acting, it's 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 almost in a way it can be easier because. You know, you're trying to behave in a certain way that is the habit of your life and your personality and your whatever being you might have. And you're using it to portray a person that doesn't really exist, but you're using yourself to draw that person. Are there different challenges that you face when you're writing than than when you're acting? Well, uh, yes. When you're writing, you mean in print? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, yes, you have to use uh, you have you have to use more evocative words. And when you speak, you can use your rhythm. Your rhythm is there. Your your accents are there. Your pitch is there, and it's difficult to get that pitch in print in two dimensions. The third dimension gives you a lot more possibility. So in print, it's like a, you know I I did write a book once, and I, when I I sort of told the stories. It, with my voice, and then when I saw it, the the transcription of it written out, it was very you know, soft. It was mm-hmm. bland. I thought, why is that so weak? And I realized all of what I was just talking about is gone from it. So then you have to find words and phrasing that can you know, make up for the lo- the lack of your your actual voice. You have to find your voice in letters. It sounds, too, uh, like you're talking a bit about improvisation, and maybe in writing that, that improvisational element is harder to keep. Well, I think, uh, you know, when you put your hands on a real keyboard and you really, you really do connect into a real keyboard, something happens. It's not, 
it's not so much improvising as it's following you know letting something go and not trying to do not trying to control it with your brain mm. but let you know i really sort of write with my my body i guess i mean if i don't have my fingers involved with the actual typewriter sort of thing it's not the same i mean i can do it or a pencil you know there's got to be some part of physical something physically connecting you to the this this energy that's moving around you know? again it's back to that rhythm of, of being able to get in a rhythm and get in a flow you have to the rhythm is there you have to catch it you know mm-hmm. you know, catch it <laughs> can you talk a little bit about the readings that you're doing capote and, and hemingway well we're doing uh something from uh movable feast the paris in the 20s sort of thing capote from breakfast at tiffany's james fenimore cooper from the deer slayer twain from huckleberry finn and then a few poems we're going to th- toss in uh, some walt whitman and uh and uh, lucille clifton the spotted hawk swoops by and accuses me. He complains of my gab and my loitering. I, too, am not a bit tamed. I, too, am untranslatable. I sound my barbaric yawp over the roofs of the world. The last scud of day holds back for me. It flings my likeness after the rest, and true as any on the shadowed wilds. It coaxes me to the vapor and the dusk. These are, these are all titans of uh, American letters, and they all have very different rhythms. Do you, do you approach each of those authors differently when, you, when you're looking to give voice to their words? Oh, and James Thurber, too. Yes. Well, you have to. Well, obviously, if you're reading um, from Huck, uh, Finn, you have you have to speak in dialect. You know, you've got to speak some sort of dialect. They went off, and I got aboard the raft, feeling bad and low because I knowed very well I had done wrong, and I see it weren't no use for me to try to learn to do right. A body that don't get started right when he's little ain't got no show. When the pinch comes, there ain't nothing to back him up and keep him to his work, and so he gets beat. Then I thought a minute and says to myself, hold on. Suppose you'd have done right and give Jim up. Would you feel better than what you do now? No, says I, I'd feel bad. I'd feel just the same way I do now. Well then, says I, what's the use you learning to do right when it's troublesome to do right and ain't no trouble to do wrong and the wages, it's just the same. And if you're reading, um, you know, James Fenimore Cooper, you have to sort of look to the horizon or something, you know. (laughs) On all sides, wherever the eye turned, nothing met it but the mirror-like surface of the lake, the placid void of heaven, and the dense setting of wood. And, uh, And Capote is... That kind of that way of of just uh, just a guy who's who's just a wide-eyed observer, you know, seeing seeing the behavior of a of a you know a fawn in the city, kind of a child, you know, a girl, and uh, and Hemingway, you know, he was just he was on the on the make on the on the smarts, you know, he was trying to figure out things, you know, observe things and figure them out, make sense of the way things went in a in that continental way, you know. 
I always love James Thurber's Fables for Our Time. Are you, you familiar with those? Uh, I know some things. I know some things. We're going to read um, If Grant Had Been Drinking at Appomattox, which is pretty funny. He's funny. He's definitely funny. He's one of the really funny guys and could really write it. Uh, it's interesting to read his, what we're reading. His, though, was written not to be read aloud. So we have to sort of, we're going to denude it of uh, certain amounts of things that are for the reader as opposed to the listener. The day continued beautiful. It drew on toward 11 o'clock. General Ulysses S. Grant was still not up. He was asleep in his famous old Navy hammock swung high above the floor of his headquarters bedroom. Headquarters was distressingly disarranged. Papers were strewn on the floor, confidential notes from spies scurried here and there in the breeze from an open window. The dregs of an overturned bottle of wine flowed pinkly across an important military map. Have you ever written fiction or written poetry? Well, I wrote a lot of poetry when I was a little boy, mm-hmm. but I haven't, I haven't since. And uh, fiction, uh, I, I, or, <laughs> I write fiction every day, but uh, because I'm just a natural liar, terrible person. <laughs> but uh, no, I haven't written real fiction. Not, no, not, not that I would call that, no. Did you memorize a lot of poetry growing up? No, I didn't. But mm-hmm. I know someone who did. That fellow over there, he can read aloud to Jim. Will you read to Jim Downey? He he can read some poems. He's he he's a good on a, a long. He's on a good on a long car drive because he's got the Greeks and he can really go. He can really go. And if you think you're falling asleep at the wheel now, wait till he gets going. <laughs> I want to get back to improvisation for a second. There's an improvisation that you bring to acting and certainly uh, in music. There's a lot of improvisation, in, not just in jazz, but in other forms of music. Do you feel that there's any sort of similarity between musical improvisation and improvisation and acting? Well, I'm working with these big shots now. Mm-hmm. I'm working with these, these, these big shots, and it's funny the way they talk, because the, we all sort of feel the same thing you know it's i mean i don't know the the, the the their term for it is not the same as mine but you feel it you see it and you feel it and when you got it you got it and when you don't we all know you know it's like no no it's there it's you know it's some kind of math or something and an improvisation is really you know kind of slow addition you you say i give you a number and you, you give me one back and we just keep it we're just keeping track of where we're going the and one yeah mm-hmm. yes and yeah so Except for the different outfits they wear and the, the cases they carry on their back, we you know we, we're speaking some some kind of language that's similar. There's some sort of unspoken language that we uh, that we are all that we understand that we all communicate with. Bill, thanks for thanks for talking okay, to me. Okay, cool. Appreciate it. I right, appreciate it. I hope I I hope my answers were correct. <laughs> <laughs> been listening to soundboard the steinway and sons podcast on artistry and craftsmanship visit steinway.com soundboard to learn more from the album new worlds on decca we heard excerpts from it ain't necessarily so by george gershwin song of myself by walt whitman the adventures of huckleberry finn by mark twain the deer hunter by james fenimore cooper read over the andante from schubert's piano trio number no. one and if grant had been drinking at appomattox by james thurber read over the blues movement from Ravel's Violin Sonata No. 2. 
Our intro and outro music is Philip Glass's Mad Rush, performed on a Steinway Model M by me, Ben Finan. Questions for the podcast can be sent to info at steinway.com with the subject heading Soundboard. Thank you for listening.